Welcome back to Recharge Radio, your one-stop spot to get spiritually recharged for your day. And I welcome you as well to our April interview. Yes, our April, 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 April interview. I'm just so excited that we, <laughs> that we can get to this point already because we're talking about the boons and banes of worship part two. And it's always exciting that we continue to build upon what we have already learned to gain even more knowledge and understanding in this area. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed seeing a little bit more tidbits of different ways in which you can add on to your worship or take away from your worship. And today we have someone else to come and join us in learning more about this topic as well. And he is a man very apt for it. I greatly, greatly respect him and all the ways that he indeed seeks to increase his worship, not by, not just by putting off the old, but by putting on the good stuff too. And he is a man we know of as the beard. Yes, the beard. Why don't you say hi to everyone? Hello, everyone. I also have a name. <laughs> My name's Josh. <laughs> yes, his name is Josh. And we call him the beard for, uh, I mean, for no reason at all, except that he actually has a beard. And at our church, not many people have a beard. So um, he is definitely dime a dozen. No, he is not a dime a dozen. He, there are very few of him. So indeed, that's why we call him the beard, because he holds a very, very special place in all our hearts and before our eyes. But yes, so glad you could come join us, Josh. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And why don't we just start off just getting to know you a little bit better. Can you mind sharing with us just what are some of the few ways you serve here at our church? Yeah, some of the ways I serve at RGC are is uh, I do small group leading. Uh, I lead a few guys in uh, trying to build their uh, biblical masculinity. We're going mm. through a book called uh, The Godly Man Picture by mm. Thomas Watson that has mm. been really good so far. I do various teaching ministries as well. We teach, I teach at our mini churches and uh, Friday flocks. Mm -hmm. And then I also uh, lead our new men's ministry, 517 Men's Ministry. Ooh. So we're getting that started up again, Ooh. and we're planning uh, for the future as they come. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes, Josh is the leader of our men's ministry, but not just our men's ministry, our 517 Men's Ministry. Would you mind telling us a little bit more of why you call it the 517 Men's Ministry? Yeah. <laughs> 517 is from 2 Corinthians 517. It's, uh, it talks about how we are new creations in Christ, how our old selves, our old selves who are selfish are gone, and we are now living this new life. So we want to train up our men to live this new life as new creations in Christ, uh, living out the, the biblical mandate for, uh, for men. Mm. So, yeah. No, that, that's, that's super cool. I, as a man, I'm very excited for this ministry. And if you caught what Josh had mentioned earlier, this indeed is a start of a new ministry, a refresh of sorts. And it's really exciting because, I mean, I get to be blessed by, blessed underneath that. And so that's why I'm excited. But you know, what about you, Josh? What are you so ex excited for out of all the things about this new, new ministry? I'm just looking forward to uh, seeing our men become really powerful men of God. I've been mm, studying a lot powerful. about biblical manhood and just seeing how mightily the Lord really uses uh, biblical men. Mm, mm. They, he really uses them super powerfully. Mm. He can do so much through a humble man. Mm. And to see RGC filled with, with so many different humble men that God is using very powerfully in, in their individual lives, mm -hmm. it's going to be quite the sight to see yeah. what the Lord is going to do. I can imagine just like an 
army of just strong men just mm. marching forward, <laughs> unstoppable. Do you have any examples from your own studies that you, that you would like to encourage us with? Um, I think a good example, well, you know, a really classic example is uh, Paul himself, mm. uh, how he considered himself a servant in everything that he did. Uh, another good example is somebody like Timothy. Mm. Uh, even though Timothy, when the pressure was on on him, uh, he was getting a little timid. But as Paul was Timothy. pouring pouring into his yeah. life, mm-hmm. um, he was Paul was willing to pass on his uh, ministry mm-hmm. to a man like Timothy, and Timothy was willing to take it and and increase it. Mm-hmm. The Bible is filled with so many yeah. uh, so many of these men. Yeah, I think you see with Timothy there. Um, the aspect that you mentioned, which is that, that aspect of humility, or character quali- quality of humility. Because sometimes we get this thought in our heads that men are kind of just like what you are on the exterior, just big, strong, bearded, um, but inside they're unfeeling, they're arrogant, they're prideful, which of course is the exact opposite of who you are, Josh. Really, we see with Timothy too, right? as you mentioned, that he is someone who um, did have weaknesses, did struggle. But when, when push came to shove, he stepped up and humility received Paul's encouragements, his corrections, his teachings, and really you know, stepped up to the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super admirable. Amen, amen. So why don't we share a little bit more, not just uh, what you do within the church, but also also outside of the church. So what do you do for your occupation? I do this thing called validation engineering. So oh. I'm a validation engineer at a pharmaceutical company. What do you val- validate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one of those jobs that not a lot of people know about. And yeah. when you start explaining it, they kind of like drift off. Oh. It's um, yeah, it's a lot of documentation, <laughs> but it's uh, it's important to make sure that our pharmaceuticals actually actually are what the label says they are. Mm. Make sure it contains the actual medicine that it contains. So oh. it's it's important. No, that sounds awfully similar to what the jobs that a few of our previous interviewees um, had in terms of quality assurance because you're trying to match what the end product is to what's um the i guess the title is is that like kind of something similar so to get a little more specific it, validation engineering looks at the processes oh so okay. it's not just the documentation and yeah. just the testing mm-hmm. uh, the testing itself is under that umbrella of the entire process yeah so validation engineering validates the entire process of making the material all the way to the end, mm-hmm. making sure the equipment in between uh, works as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I've known you for numerous years. But yeah, so it looks into like even those nitty gritty details, not just the end and the beginning, as I guess I first thought it was. That's cool. So in that job, then, what, how do you practically worship God? A big thing that I do is just try to acknowledge him throughout the day. I try to use my breaks to pray, pray for people, pray for my attitude at work. I try to acknowledge the fingerprints of God mm. in every single day. I thank him for even just like the struggles that there are in the company. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, there's going to be miscommunications. Uh, in validation engineering, you're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of departments, and you're mm. trying to take each department's interests and align them which oh, yeah. is always a difficult thing to <laughs> do sounds really tough but i try to look at it as the lord uh growing me to be a leader even for men's ministry and mm-hmm. to be a leader at the church knowing how to communicate with people bring yeah. them under one goal and being able to communicate that goal in yeah. the first place i try to see this as just a way that the lord is using me and growing me 
uh, I take the opportunities that I have to to share about mm-hmm. my Christianity as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. and just build relationships with them. Yeah, that, that that that's super super cool. I think one thing you mentioned that that kind of really caught my ear, um, and which might have caught might have caught the ears of our listeners is that phrase you mentioned, fingerprints of God. Just seeing the fingerprints of God. Am I sharing us a little bit more of where that came from and what you mean by that? I really believe in God's sovereignty. Mm. So, but the thing about God's sovereignty that I really appreciate is its specificity in each and every one of our lives. Mm. So I know, you know, God is sovereign over all of history and all the historical events that are there, but he's also sovereign for the little details in, in your life. Mm-hmm. Even just somebody sending you a verse during work, that's a fingerprint of the Lord mm. trying to encourage you, trying to remind you of him. Mm-hmm even just little answered prayers here and there or being able to spend time alone with him Mm -hmm. or even having a project being completed or something that you've been praying for, like trying to find this documentation or trying to get a hold of this person and they respond and it's like, oh, you know, thank you, Lord, for being with me and being there. So even in the difficult portions, knowing that he's there really sets the attitude, uh, the vertical attitude in work. I mean, transforms completely how, how you view the world around you. It really reminds me of those those kind of animation films, like stop animation films, right? Stop where motion. yes, yeah, there you go, stop motion, animation. stop motion films, where each each time they they take a picture of a frame, right? They have to move the character, move the scenery, or move whatever the subject is, and it's constantly being pushed. But when you get to the final product, you you see just you know that smooth film, but Really, you can also see the individual like handprints of every time the whoever the filmmaker was, you no, know, like he pressed his fingers literally um into the into the scene, and so is that I don't know if that's where the inspiration came from. Wow, that's a pretty cool way of seeing it. Okay, okay, okay. There you go. Like that. Yeah, so that, that was that was my first. I was like, really, if we look around us, we're constantly mold, being molded by God, constantly being molded by God, literally in that sense that He's forming us and transforming us. That's cool to hear. Then that even for your day to day, you are being molded by God. Maybe would you mind willing? Would you be willing to share just from this past week ways you saw the, a fingerprint of God really clearly? Well, one way that I saw a fingerprint of the Lord is uh, just being able to build a relationship with my boss. Mm. Uh, he he's a good guy and he's a pretty fun guy to to talk to, <laughs> and uh, he knows that I'm a Christian and he mm. knows that I take uh, Christianity seriously. So. Mm-hmm. We always have these like conversations, like sometimes during our meetings, about uh, about the Bible, about oh. little things that he's because he's read like the entire Bible before, oh, apparently, yes. wow. yeah, like in college. Uh, so he brings up some of these things, and I just and I answer them and tell him, and you know, saying that you know, like anybody can become a Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know he takes his like fatherhood seriously, so. Mm trying to find more opportunities to uh, build the relationship and uh, preach the gospel to him. Nice. Wow, you just see God and his fingerprints in terms of just opening those doors, those opportunities, and allowing you to be able to talk to him. And sounds like you're doing a great job in answering those questions, which leads me into sharing about this one ministry that you participate in, which is none other than the offensive line. (gasps) Mm, Yes, yes. The Offensive Line, for those of you who don't know, is our apologetic series on YouTube. I mm-hmm. host it with uh, Hanson, mm-hmm. our, our illustrious deacon. Illustrious deacon. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 
tackle different questions that Christians will uh, will inevitably combat as they evangelize to unbelieving friends, coworkers, or family. The point of the channel is to build Christians. So not necessarily like go through every single apologetics issue mm-hmm. and and try to uh, address every single issue that's there, but it's to build Christians so that they know how to respond to them and they have a solid faith that they can uh, defend it well. Nice. If you guys want to check that out, you guys can go to YouTube and just search up the offensive line. And I think I think that's enough, right? And then you'll, they'll be able to find you there. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> If you can't, you can always shoot us an email here at rechargeradio at rgcsd.com. Now then, why don't we move on into our topic for today as we talk about the boons and banes of worship. Part two, 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 two. This month we talked about various boons and various banes. We talked about complacency. We talked about not having a vision for your life and how that contrasted with a life that is thriving and a life that is really ambitious for the Lord. And so there's so much for us to talk about and we'll try to talk about as much as we can with Josh because I know he has so much to share with us. But why don't we just start off with the first one that we mentioned, complacency versus a life that is truly thriving. So first off, we already know a little bit more about what complacency is, but Josh, would you mind telling us what are the damaging effects of complacency? Yeah, no, that's a good question, a good thing to think about, because a lot of people, they think about complacency and they don't think it's a very impactful thing. But mm-hmm. really what it is, is you're making your spiritual life hollow. And that's, it doesn't need to be said, but that's a damaging thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, it's really arrogant and it it blurs your view of who you actually are and what you're actually doing. You think that the Lord is satisfied with your performance when actually... God just wants you to grow. God wants you to be humble before him. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't really need your results or your works, uh, particularly. Uh, Micah 6, uh, 6 through 8 talks about how God doesn't need a thousand rams or Mm, 10,000 rivers of oil. Like, what is he going to do with oil? What is he going (laughs) to do with all these rams? What he really wants is for you to walk humbly with him. Mm. But when you're complacent, it's a it's an arrogant thing because you're setting your own standard that you're measuring up to and you're ignoring God's standard. So what complacency really is, it's a desensitization of godliness Hmm. where what it is, it's compromise. You're compromising the high standard of God and putting your own standard in there to make yourself feel comfortable. And if you think about it, if you're if you're growing not true Christianity, but this hollow Christianity, you're setting yourself up for collapsing when the pressure really does matter. Mm. So if we look at our times today and the trail that we're going down really will most likely end in persecution. Persecution. Mm. If you've built this hollow Christianity, you're going to be the first to cave. Mm hmm. And that's really the long, that's one of the long-term effects that complacency can have in your life. Mm-hmm. The Lord wants you to grow, not necessarily just to do the Christian things, but he wants you to grow strong, be nourished by the vine. And when you're complacent, you're really cutting yourself off from that. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate how you really bought in really all sides of this. First off, and seeing that you're not giving to the Lord what he deserves and what he truly wants. Right now you're thousand rams your mediocre rams um but the worship and the fullness of the honor that he deserves 
But y'all, I, th- I also appreciate how you brought up the damaging effects just to your own Christianity, where you essentially you're building your whole Christian Christianity on just some wooden stilts that is eventually just going to crumble when the persecution comes. And I think it's really helpful because I, at least for those of us in America, it's pretty easy to kind of get complacent, especially so because we're not during a time of persecution. And so we kind of get lulled into a sense of false security with that. No, that's a really good point, Andy. You know, Pastor Chris addressed a similar issue uh, in a previous sermon that he had. He was talking about uh, the government going mm. through First Peter 2 and how the church's response during the time of COVID really revealed how quickly they are to compromise on biblical principles yeah. and how they weren't really like standing firm. Like you said, they were standing on wooden stilts instead mm. of actually firmly on the rock of the word of God. Mm-hmm. And that really does reveal that it's a little glimpse of that hollow Christianity, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, he described it really well. People walk around with marshmallow swords. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine trying to stop Josh coming at me with a marshmallow sword. He's just going to run me right over. <laughs> That's really cool. So what about the other end of it then? Maybe you can share with us personally, how do you maintain a constant pattern of growth? I think the first thing is to know the standard that mm-hmm. Christians are expected to live in their life. Mm-hmm. One of the first encouragements that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy is to retain the standard, mm. guard the word, yeah. to retain and guard. Retain is a really good word to to use because, you know, when you think about like if you're doing planks or something or doing push-ups, yeah. a really important thing <laughs> in working out is yeah. your form. Uh-huh. But as the seconds go on or as yeah. the ca- push-up counts go up, your form starts to not be retained. You start <laughs> compromising your form. You really want to know the standard and be able to retain it no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what pressures there are. Mm-hmm. So knowing the standard is really helpful. And then when you acknowledge the standard as well, you realize that you're really weak. You need help. And when you want to maintain this consistent pattern of growth and achieving that godliness, uh, it really does bring you before God and acknowledging your weaknesses brings you to ask for his grace and be mm-hmm. powered, empowered by that. Mm-hmm. So it fuels that life of prayer that makes you acknowledge your weaknesses, but you see your weakness as more room for God to be glorified mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah, that reminds me of Second Corinthians twelve nine, where we really see that Paul views his weakness not as a detriment, but as a way that God can demonstrate his greatness that much more. And I really enjoyed even those two points that you bring up, how completely different it is from complacency, because both those two qualities, one of retaining God's standard and two of uh, just having that humility to run to the Lord because you recognize you can't do it. That both of those are looking outward, right, at God and what he has. And complacency is looking inward the entire time at yourself and that arrogance. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, complacency again it's a, it's a really arrogant mindset to have mm-hmm. uh, and it creeps up on you really easily i know uh, everybody everybody struggles with pride and it's something that is always there so the other thing that helps with this constant pattern of growth is accountability mm. you know proverbs proverbs 27 17 says iron sharpens iron so mm-hmm. one man sharpens another even though you don't see your own pride 
other people can see your pride. Yeah. And if you have good friends, if you surround yourself with good brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll come in and say, hey, why are you being complacent? Why are <laughs> you seem yeah. stale? What yeah. happened? Where's that fire? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and you, you already know that it's just like, man, when that's revealed to you, you kind of look back at maybe the past weeks or yeah. hopefully or hopefully not, but maybe even the past months and you're like, man, you know, I haven't really grown. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened? What's mm-hmm. wrong? Yeah. So accountability helps uh, a lot as well. Yeah. No, 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 that's super cool. That reminds me of what we talked about even last month when we talked about worship and relationships and where we spent even the episode on friendship and how important it was to have that biblical friendship in your life. I mean, Shane even mentioned that as well in our previous interview. Yeah, mm-hmm. super practical. That's actually really, really, really helpful. And especially so because, like you mentioned again, pride blinds. Pride really does blend. And and one more thing that's really helpful too is just enjoying ministry, enjoying the growth, and enjoying uh, serving God. That joyfulness really does uh, really does fuel your obedience, fuel mm-hmm. your desire to grow. When you really try to grow the ministries that you have, you get a chance to watch the Lord work. You get to see those fingerprints. Those fingerprints, yeah, I was about over. to say. <laughs> you get to see him, his grace, his love, uh, maybe even his righteousness and justice. Ooh. You get to take in all of those things and then be able to sit at the end of the day and say, thank you, Lord, for using me this day. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that brings you a lot of joy, too, is just seeing people grow. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a really good representation of this is the Apostle John himself. Yeah. Uh, in Third John, so Third John is like at the very end of his life, you know, ninety years <laughs> yeah. old. You know, you see those videos on YouTube about in- them interviewing people who are like a hundred years because you know they're wise. They've gone through a lot of uh-huh. uh, a lot in their life, but we have our own version in the Bible in Third yeah. John, and <laughs> verses two and four said says, "Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers." For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. That's so heartwarming. Yeah. This is a man who's been who's been in it for so many decades. Yeah. And this is the thing that gives him the greatest joy. Mm-hmm. And that's a really cool thing to think about. When you see people grow, when you see somebody putting their sin down, slaying it, mortifying it, or somebody being fruitful, using their gifts more mightily. There's nothing else that fills your heart with more joy than that. Thank you so much for sharing, Josh. I mean, when I listen to you, I just can't believe some people would consider a life of complacency better than a life that's always thriving. Who would not want to be dependent upon the Lord to always be joyfully serving Him and to see those fingerprints? Man, those fingerprints just all over the place. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So why don't we move on then to a different main and a different boon to our worship. We also talked about self-deprecation versus self-discipline this past this past month. And it's really interesting, actually, because at the heart of it, what we're tackling here is just the idea of humility, right? The idea of humility. And so self-deprecation, oftentimes, when people look at themselves and they always say, ah, well, what was me? You know, that's something that we mentioned in our episode that can be attributed to false humility, whereas self-discipline is a greater example of true humility. So do you mind helping us see the difference there? What's the difference between false humility and true humility? Yeah. 
Humility is an easy way to think of humility is that it's a uh, seeing yourself accurately. Mm-hmm. And what that means is seeing yourself the way God sees you. And something that's helpful is to see yourself uh, positionally, positionally before God. And the way he sees you is as a saint, somebody who's holy, somebody who he's set apart. Seeing yourself as a child of God, God sees mm-hmm, you as mm-hmm. someone who's in his own family, someone who he loves and takes care of and really wishes for you to, to grow. I think Psalm 4, 5 says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you think of yourself positionally, it really puts away that type of self-loathing. Because mm-hmm. how can you loathe yourself when God loves you, when mm-hmm. God sees you this way? He actually sets you apart for himself. He mm-hmm. wants to be with you and he wants to hear you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to use you as one of his servants. And that's the other thing that you can see yourself positionally as a, as a servant. So 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels mm-hmm. that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's not self-deprecating. That's just seeing yourself accurately as somebody who can be used by God to be filled with the power to be preached the gospel, to deliver treasures to the unbelieving world. Mm -hmm. You know, all the apostles, they introduce themselves as slaves, as a servant of God. And so when you see yourself as a servant, you realize that everything... The only thing that you really have to give is your life. Mm -hmm. So you see yourself as a saint, someone set apart for God. You see yourself as a child of God, somebody who God actually loves and cares about. That helps you see. And God also sees you as as a servant. And that will bring you to recognize that, hey, I'm not somebody who's useless. I'm not somebody who I should loathe. Mm -hmm. But I'm somebody that God loves. And I'm somebody that God actually wants to use. So... The cool thing about that, so when you understand that that humility uh, positionally, it really does manifest practically. Mm-hmm. So you can think about it in that way uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Humility before God will always manifest in humility before people. Mm. So what happens is you see your life as a life of giving and mm-hmm. not getting. Yeah, You seek to build and elevate others as opposed to gaining you know, for yourself. Nice. So this humility is, it really is a a mindset shift. Yeah. You're no longer thinking of yourself, but you're thinking of others, Mm -hmm. caring for them, trying to, you're concerned about their holiness and you only see your life as a means to their holiness, not Mm -hmm. just your own. Mm -hmm. You embrace that crucifixion of yourself. You actually go and look for opportunities that will challenge you, that will kill self and you take biblical correction and rebuke because you just want to be used by the lord Mm. to be sanctified for him yeah true humility or as we would describe it true humility true humility humility yes yes Yes. so what about moments in which we do mess up and we do fail i know some people will fall into that false self-loathing as you mentioned already uh, which isn't biblical and isn't actually true humility or true humility but what, what is the difference then between you know, genuine godly sorrow and this kind of self-loading, false humility sorrow? Yeah, I think a really telltale sign is a false humility is ignoring what scripture says about you. Mm. 
not looking at yourself the way God sees you. Mm-hmm. And I think a good representation of that uh, is in First Timothy one fifteen. So a lot of people they they kind of think that humility is this like overwhelming guilt and and or overwhelming acknowledgement of sin, yeah. where they just walk around with their head down, you know, downtrodden. When yeah. that's not what the Lord actually a- intended a- for ashes you. Ashes and like sack- sackcloth and all that good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And when you look at First Timothy one uh, fifteen. This is what Paul says. He says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. This is Paul, the apostle, saying that I am the worst sinner of all time. He acknowledges his sin and he knows that he's the first and foremost sinner. That's how he views himself. And when people hear that verse, they're like, oh, wow, you know, how humble he's acknowledging his sin. But if you read the rest of the verse, He's not, he, he only brings that up not to elevate his sin, but to elevate the fact that God is using him. Mm. He's using that fact because he, he's not overwhelmed with guilt, but he's overwhelmed with thankfulness. Mm. So when you actually read verses 12 and 13, right before verse 15, it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Mm -hmm. So Paul is pondering about his sin, not to dig his own grave and throw himself into and bury himself, but he's using it as as a reason to praise God. He's Mm -hmm. like, I can't believe God is using somebody like me Mm -hmm. to carry his name to the Gentiles and that just shows how great our God really is. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what you're, that's how you can tell the difference between true humility and false humility. Somebody who's false humility is still consumed with themselves. Yeah. They're still thinking about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, we, They're we, not we, thinking about God. Yeah. We're going back to that same point again. You mentioned it's who you're looking at really by yourself or God. Exactly. And really what happens with this false humility is that in, it inhibits your ability to serve God mm-hmm. and it makes you, Somebody who's just stuck in bed, not really doing anything, maybe doing, maybe even becoming complacent with, with where Oof. you're at. Oof. So Double whammy. Yeah. Oh. It's not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. So would you mind giving us some practical tips then for some of us who have been struggling with habitual sin and we battle it and we fight it. I mean, it could be any kind of habitual sin. It could be anger. It could be lust. And we're fighting it and you're winning then all of a sudden you fall and you trip and you mess up and you commit that sin again. So how do you bounce back without getting lost in the sorrow and despair of it? Yeah. So I think something that's really, that was really helpful for me is developing a thirst for, for righteousness. Mm. One of the Beatitudes is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness mm. where they shall be satisfied. Yeah. You know, it really helps to realize that the promises of sin are just lies and they're fake and they're trying to trick you. Uh, they want they want to make a fool out of you. And when you have these these temptations to be angry or to yell at somebody or to be impatient with somebody, the temptation of that is release that anger, put it out on somebody because you'll feel better afterwards. But that's just not true. It's never true. But when you develop this thirst for righteousness, you think about the eternal rewards, you think about the promises of God and, and that those things are real. They're not temporary, but they're eternal. They're lasting. They're satisfying. 
And those are the things that you want. You don't want the little cheapy, fake, mm-hmm. you know, Thrift discount bin, bargain bin uh, yeah. pleasure, joy. Mm-hmm. You want the eternal gold that God has promised you and mm-hmm. giving you his faithfulness. So when you keep falling back into habitual sin, you remind yourself that, you know, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want this fake thing that keeps lying to me, that keeps deceiving me. I want the real thing. I want God. I want a relationship with him. And keeping that hu- that true humility in there as well, so you don't beat yourself down, uh, throwing yourself into the pit, but seeing yourself as God sees you, knowing what he's given you access to and knowing what he's promised you. So those two things come together in, in fighting that. Nice, nice. And I really do pray um, that was helpful for any of our listeners who are struggling to really thirst for that righteousness. And that would that really fuel them then to continue to strive after that righteousness too. Super exciting. With that, why don't we move on then to our final topic for today. I know because our time is quickly coming to a close and we really want to squeeze in as much as we possibly can. And so mm-hmm. let's talk about the difference between being visionless and having that vision and being ambitious. And so first off, what happens when you lack a direction and a vision for your life? Yeah, it's something that a lot of Christians uh, don't talk about, but mm-hmm. it's something that really does need to be asked. I think one of the things that happens is you come to have this to-do list mentality mm-hmm. where ministry just becomes a, a task list where you're just checking off different things and you're you're really just maintaining. You're just uh, somebody... The way I see it is like instead like Paul calls himself the the wise master builder when he's serving oh. in First Corinthians three, mm-hmm. but when you have this to do list mentality, you just become like the maintenance guy. You're just sweeping the floors, not mm-hmm. really building anything. You're just getting the, the tasks done. Mm-hmm. But what happens after that is you have a loss of joy in ministry. Mm-hmm. You just you're not thinking about the people. You're not thinking about the Lord, uh, and you start losing that fire, that fuel, because joy really is the fuel for obedience. You love God and you're filled with a a joy that you have this relationship with him and it makes you want to obey him. It makes you want to sacrifice for him. And then when you lose this joy, you fall into a complacent attitude. Coming full circle. (laughs) Coming full circle, that complacency. It really is a slow death. When you don't have direction or vision in your life, Time goes by, days, weeks, months, maybe even years go by, and you realize, you look back and you realize, you know, I'm the same person that I was three years ago. The ministries that I've had are the same. The The life that I'm living is the same. And it's before you know it, thought, yeah. it sneaks up on you. Yeah. And that is a scary thought to be in. Let's flip it on to the other side then. Would you mind sharing personally? What is the, your ambition uh, for your life? I mean, how has that really impacted everything that you do? Yeah, I think a really big driving force for me is seeing the needs of the church and wanting to fill them and making sure that in everything that I'm doing, I give more and more over to the Lord. So mm. even just some of the ministries that I have, uh, like men's ministry and building that, you know, we need a men's ministry. We need men of God. Our guys need help and they need mm-hmm. building. So trying to look forward to the next one year, two years or you know, four years to 
really build this path for the guys to go down so that at the end of that path they are they become men of god or at least have an understanding mm-hmm. of how to be a man of god and display that in their lives and that's an important goal and that's an important vision to to have so that's one of the things that i'm looking forward to and aiming for mm-hmm. it Looking at that, you know, standard, you know, I see my own inadequacies in light of trying to get there. Mm-hmm. But again, that just means I come before the Lord and ask him for help and grace in order to help me do that. And if I don't have that vision, there's no drive to get there. There's mm-hmm. no there's no prayer or dependence on the Lord to get there. You I become just, again, complacent without mm-hmm. it. I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to know how did you arrive then to that ambition um to that vision then that really that, that, which now fuels you because i mean did it just come out of nowhere did, you, did it just pop into your head um how that happened because sometimes people want it but they don't know how to make one or get to it it really started like a few years ago in understanding on a general level what a christian should do in their life so i grew up in a christian church but you know nobody ever talks about this in like those mega churches or a lot mm. of churches don't talk about it yeah and when I started studying, okay, Lord, what do you actually want me to do with my life? And I came across Romans eight twenty nine, where it says the reason why he predestined me is so that I can be conformed to the image of God, mm. image of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so even just starting there, knowing that, okay, everything I'm supposed to be doing is to conform me to the image of Christ. And if that's true for me, that's true for everyone else. So taking all the opportunities that I can, starting from then, going to events, going to teaching, talking to people, going to even just campus evangelism back then, yeah, trying to conform people to the image of Christ, just exhibiting that faithfulness, that uh, availability in the beginning, the Lord will take you down where he wants you to go. He'll put He'll bear fruit and the things that he wants you to bear fruit. He'll build the things that he wants to build in you. And the more faithful and available that you are, the more you realize how he's shaping you and who he wants you to be and what he wants you to become. Even just this past year where, you know, we all had to close down and quarantine ourselves. The Lord did a lot to build my teaching and build my leadership. All you got to do is put two and two together and think, okay, maybe the Lord wants me to do something like that, to exhibit those things, to to work with those things. And then the Lord put gave me an opportunity to be a men's ministry lead. And that shaped basically the next four years of my of my life. Mm. This is what this is the thing that I'm going to do and figure out and accomplish. Mm. And now it's just driving you forward all the way to, to the end. I'm really excited. Really excited for that vision to be realized. I'm very excited to participate in it, to be caught up in your wave, which you're really just leading um, through through the church and through the, specifically through the men of the church. I think I just have one more question, I think which will really help to tie everything together. I don't know for many of our listeners, they're listening to this and they'll think, man, the beard, Josh himself, it seems as if he's always been just so strong and steadfast and ambitious for the lord but we all know that we don't just come out of the womb even the spiritual womb necessarily like this and i know it wasn't the case for you so what was the that moment or maybe even multiple moments in which you did turn from that complacent visionless christian 
into that really powerful, excellent servant to the Lord. Yes, I remember a very clear moment mm. where I was actually struggling with a lot of the, the things that we talked about today, complacency, visionless, and I didn't realize it. I didn't, I didn't really think anything was wrong. I mean, I knew that I wanted to do more for God, but I didn't know how. And my discipler started basically going after that and started saying that, you know, I think I remember very clearly he was, he basically challenged me and said, you know, I think you're, you're satisfied, which is being an average Christian. So I said, I'm comfortable, but I said, I don't want to be. And he was just like, okay, you know, that's good. But then I asked him, like, what do I do? Like, how do I get, how do I not be an average Christian? I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. And then he said, I'm willing to bet that you have a really weak prayer life. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? I, you know, I pray every day. I pray for all my ministries. uh, And I pray for, you know, the people that are under me. And he was just like, see, that's why I know it's weak. Because you pointed to all the, you pointed to the quantity of prayer and not the quality of it. You didn't say anything about your relationship with the Lord. You didn't say anything about how humbling it is to be in his presence and how it increases your love for him. I I felt that knife from over here. (laughs) That really got me. It revealed that, you know, I was really treated God as, you know, not a, a person. I didn't revere him. I didn't respect him or fear him the way he should be feared. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I sought to humble myself before God and started taking prayer seriously, praying for mm-hmm. all the things that I'm doing, not so that I can just do them and just get the tasks done, mm-hmm. but so that I can do it with the Lord, mm-hmm. that it's a way for him to use my life to for his glory. And I can enjoy that and thank him for that and praise him for that. Mm-hmm. And that really did shift my mindset behind ministry Mm. and the standard for it made me want to accomplish uh the biblical standard for it yeah yeah now now you're a man who is constantly searching for the fingerprints of god indeed it it really does help when you see them working nice so much thank you so much josh uh that that was so encouraging to hear on multiple fronts Uh, thank you so much for sharing personally as well and the ways in which the Lord has brought you to the point that he is that you're at now. And I'm looking forward to where he's going to take you in the future. Do you have any last or final words you want to give to our audience? I would say just don't underestimate the power of prayer in your life. Prayer is the one thing that you will continually work on for the rest of your life. Uh, uh, it's true. the one thing that will bring you into humility. Uh, humility is a supernatural work. Uh, you can't do something in order to get it. You really do have to ask the Lord to make you humble. Yeah. And don't underestimate it. And just enjoy it when it happens. Embrace the times that yeah. that where that happens. Man, thank you so much, Josh. That was just so encouraging. And I just want to remind all of our listeners that if you want to see Josh in action, if you want to hear more from him, Again, go check out the offensive line on YouTube to hear more about his apologetic series that he's doing um, with our Deacon Hansen. And if you don't know who Hansen is, just go back to the month of January when he was our interviewee for that month. And so 
excellent opportunities all around continue to be built up in all these different ways. We really thank you guys for joining us uh, for our April interview. If you want to reach us and ask us any questions, um, give us feedback, just any comments even, just shoot us an email at rechargeradio at rgcsc.com. But with that, thank you guys all for joining us. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. It was a privilege. God bless. So Josh, you single? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>